Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm excited to share with you a conversation I had with Kate Flanders. She's the author of the book, The Year of Less, but also the author of the brand new book, Adventures in Opting Out, a field guide to leading an intentional life. And as we kick off this brand new year with lots of potential and possibility, I thought that it just made sense that this book be a leading conversation to put out there in terms of being intentional about this next new year. I'm not talking New Year's resolutions or closing out the old year and starting up the new one and how many pounds you're going to lose. We're talking about not just following the path that you've been put on, but starting to create your own. In other words, not just finding yourself in the story you're in, but starting to write your own. And Kate and I talk about that in this conversation about her own journey and some of the stories of others. And I think you're going to get a lot out of it as a kickoff to a new year. So I'll get out of the way and just say, enjoy this conversation with Kate Flanders. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome to the show, Kate Flanders. Kate, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So I I heard about you, I believe it was through, I actually think it was through Paul Jarvis on Twitter, who was then (laughs) referencing your conversation with Chris Bailey, who's also been on the show. I keep dropping on, we pre-show, I was talking about all the people, you know, that we were both kind of common friends with. And uh, so, yeah, I, I just couldn't help but notice when Paul says something, typically it's important. You know, he's he's that got that kind of a reputation in in my mind. And then so does Chris. So then I thought, well, let's take a look. And sure enough, uh, it was like, OK, got to got to have you on. Got to talk to you. And, uh, it you know, under the premise, of course, of you've got a new book out and we can talk about that. But I want to talk about before that, I want to kind of lead the way to that and, and say uh, you did this experiment called the year of less. And I think that though not everybody would agree, and and I don't know if you even would see it this way, but I see that as kind of the precursor to figuring out intentional living because you're doing this experiment of living with less. Oh, yeah. And first of all, I kind of want to laugh at the connection with Paul and Chris because, (laughs) and I'll just give you a really fun fact to, uh, to have now, which is that we actually all share the same literary agent as well. Oh, my gosh. And, and I think that she would probably reference us as like her Canadian trio. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But you are right. It's, it's been interesting now, obviously it takes time to be able to reflect on like what has brought you to a certain place. Um, But I think that, you know, we could go really far back and say that there are some other things I had done, whether it was like in 2012, I, I quit drinking. That was a very intentional decision. Um, in from 2011 to 2013, I paid off 
a ton of consumer debt. Like these were intentional decisions. But the year of less was something that I did from 2014 to 2015. The idea being really that, you know, I was debt free at that point when I started the experiment, but I was not saving like any money. And that didn't make sense financially because um, I, when I had been paying off my debt the few years before that, there were months where I was putting upwards of like 50 to 55% of my income towards debt repayment, which was very aggressive. Like it was a, a bit too aggressive in looking back on that. Um, but to go from that to then basically saving nothing didn't make sense. And so I, I did that for an entire year though, where I would do this thing on my blog, I would post my um, monthly budget or, or what I expected my numbers to look like. And then at the end of the month, I would come back and say, uh, here are all of my basically extra expenses and excuses for why I I saved, you know, 5% of my income, maybe, but I had, I should have been able to save 20, 30, maybe even more than that. But I basically just went back to spending everything. And that was because in, in all of the work that I had done so far with my finances, I actually wasn't learning anything like about why I had gotten into debt. I wasn't learning, um, yeah, like what my spending habits were, why I would overspend, what kinds of things I was spending on, what was going on deep down when, when those things were happening. And instead, I just sort of punished myself by like hating that I had debt, paying it all off. And then, yeah. And so a year later, a year of being uh, debt free, I decided to try this experiment where I just wouldn't buy anything for a year and would uh, see like sort of how much I could save. I didn't really have an idea of what that would look like at the end. I just thought I want to spend less and save more. And so it was really like, I didn't do a ton of research or a ton of planning. I just sort of was like, yeah, I just like won't buy things. And here's like the list of things that I won't buy. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, I'm going to do this for a year. I don't really know if I could even do it, but like, let's try. And it was so, um, I don't know. I, it was not naive, but it was like very innocent at the start. Well, so it, it, if I can say it was unintentional, but you still learned from it. Yeah. I mean, I, I like, I guess the intention, the the most sort of basic one was there, which is just like, I'm going to spend less, mm-hmm. but I had no idea what that actually looked like. And I also did not realize how much I was going to learn that year. So I learned uh, things around, well, A, the fact that I was a, a much more emotional spender than I had ever imagined. It was like I didn't identify either as a shopaholic. I didn't identify with terms like retail therapy. I was also never someone or I didn't I didn't think I was who sort of bought things or spent money to celebrate. Um, but it was sort of like that year I basically had stripped away my last coping mechanism or like my last unhealthy coping mechanism because before like deciding to stop drinking in 2012 that was obviously my my first and biggest um, but also unhealthiest coping mechanism and then without that I had gone to spending and I didn't even realize it so there was a lot that came up that year I mean also I had I had decided at the start that I would declutter like I, I don't even really know why except that <laughs> I I, I I had moved in 2013. I unfortunately had to move five times in a calendar year. And when you move that many times, you basically are just moving boxes from place to place. 
And so I did know, like, I, I had a lot of stuff I was never even looking at. I was basically moving it for, like from one closet to another. So I just thought, I, I definitely have too much stuff. I've probably wasted money on a bunch of stuff. I'm going to also declutter. But I had, again, like no idea what it was going to lead to. I was just like, yeah, we'll just see how this goes. Like, we'll just ride this inspiration and see what happens. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, again, I, I guess that, you know, if you're moving boxes from place to place, five, I can't imagine moving five times in a year. I, I can't imagine, I can't imagine moving one time in five years at this point because <laughs> we, we did it three or four times over the course of like, we sold a house. Then we, we stayed at a, we moved into my mother-in-law's for about three months till we could get into our rental that we were going to be in for seven to nine months while we looked for the house we wanted to buy. Cause nothing was on the market that we liked. And then, and then we got this place and it was just like, so that was three different, like it was the moving out of the old house finally into a temporary and then another temporary and then into this one. So it was, I guess that's almost four. It's like three and a mm-hmm. half, I guess. So, and that's what we noticed is, is we threw a bunch of stuff in a storage unit and because we didn't want to have to move it over and over and over again until it was a permanent place. But what we realized was, well, all the stuff that's in there is really, it's a, it's a, it's a little different story, but you know, the stuff that's in there was stuff we didn't want it definitely some of it was worth keeping we definitely knew it was something holding worth holding on to i mean we're not talking minimalism or anything here by for either of us yeah yeah but it's more so the 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 question of what do you need and what you you know what do you need to live and what do you not need to live especially if you're going to be flexible for a season you know? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. And I also think now the question that I ask myself is like, what is holding me back? Like, what am I holding on to that's actually holding me back in some way? Um, and that could be actually probably productivity related in a lot of ways. I think, you know, how many projects did I, did I own pieces of? So there were things technically I could maybe do at some point, um, but they actually just added a lot of like mental weight to my life. Like I would just, instead of being able to just pick like the one or two things I actually want to be doing, it's like I had this constant decision fatigue because I had lots of options of things I could do. And then you end up just getting so exhausted by it that you're like, well, I'll just do nothing. I'll just watch TV for the night. Yeah. It's that overwhelm <laughs> uh, so that you can, my friend uh, Jeff calls it vapor lock where mm. you, you just, you can't, it's decision fatigue to the point of being able to make no decisions. And so you know, it's also kind of like um, we get we kind of get creative when we have constrictions or, you know, have to have to solve a problem inside of a certain kind of a box or uh, constraint. So. Yeah, this is also now like obviously as a writer, I read a lot, but I'm actually not really someone who holds on to much of a library. I used to think I wanted to be that person. I wanted to, you know, walk into a room and I just had shelves and shelves of books and actually I find it incredibly overwhelming, especially if there's <laughs> a bunch of books I haven't read yet, because I don't know, like, how do you pick? So I genuinely am someone you walk into my bedroom. I have one book on my nightstand. The people who have like five or six, I'm like, if I looked at that every day, I wouldn't, I would not pick up any of them. I just wouldn't like, I need just one. Here's my book. And if I don't like it, I don't have to finish it, but give me the one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, I I am the same way to a certain point. Um, I, I have purged bookshelves over and over again of stuff that, you know, either, oh, you know what? I'll, I will never read this again, even though it's good. So maybe I try to think of somebody that I can give it to mm. who might enjoy it. Um, 
gifting, but uh, or, or I just will drop it off somewhere where there's a, a lot of other free books to drop off, I guess. But yeah. I, I think that's the thing, though, is that uh, I, I remember we were talking about decision fatigue, and 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 I could couldn't help but think that yes, if uh, if it weren't for all of those different options, if you if you pared them down, um, you might be able to make a decision. And I think that's one of the things that is hard about uh, being intentional, uh, living an intentional life is because it, it it's like it, you've I mean, you've probably heard of the term. um Oh gosh, why am I blanking on it? I'll cut this out. But uh, <laughs> the term opportunity cost, where mm-hmm. when you're saying yes to one thing, you're saying no to every other multitude of options that are out there. And that can, for some people, be very hard. But I think a lot of people won't even let themselves register that choice and would rather be passively uh, unintentional about their life. You know, they want to, in other words, they will find themselves inside of a story versus writing their own. Yes. So yes, a lot of people probably. And, and that's what it makes me think of when I, when I hear about your story of your experiment with the, the year of less is it feels like you somehow um, maybe it wasn't maybe your intention, but you accidentally started to grow aware of the role of intention in your life? Oh, I think that I don't know that I've ever sat and like put those exact words to it, but I do think that you're right. And I think that that year specifically I gained, like I've always been a a pretty self-aware person. Like I've always sort of analyzed, you know, how do I feel about a situation? Is there something I can do differently here? Um, is there something that would make it easier or feel better? Or is there a different way to navigate this conversation? Like I'm always questioning and like looking at options, but I'm, I don't know that I had ever done such deep reflection as I did that year. Like I, I think what it, what I could boil it down to is I think it's the first year I really let myself feel my feelings Mm. and did not try to fix them. Like I did not numb them. I did not try to just like wish them away. I had to practice a ton of self-soothing tactics, like things that I had never tapped into before, um, which literally starts with naming the hard feeling or the hard situation that you're in and just, just naming it and saying like, okay, this is what I'm dealing with right now. This is how it feels. Like it does not feel good. And, and how can I get through this? How can I get through this in a healthier way than what I normally do? Yeah. It feels like you're describing this year for a lot of people. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah. Well, actually what's, what's strange is like, of course I've published a new book this year, but the year of less has done extraordinarily well this year. And that makes sense to me. Like yeah. it, in the beginning, I think I had this weird sense of almost like you don't want to capitalize off of anything like that. Like you don't want to capitalize off the fact that it's been a bad year. And then I was, I just had to switch and be like, no, like my gosh, if it could help people 
yeah, just sit with themselves a little bit and, and know that there are other ways of coping, that there are healthier ways for us to deal with this. Cause we're not going to dig ourselves out of it quickly or right away. Like we cannot quickly fix this, but we can get through it. We absolutely can get through this year. And um, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I don't know. It's weird to write a book years ago that is helpful later, but I'm, I'm glad that it has been. Well, it's evergreen in that sense, which is great. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's something that works so well, it basically feels like magic. For me, I'm thinking air conditioning, noise-canceling headphones, definitely. Meeting-free Fridays. What about selling with Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your own shop stage to the first real store stage, you don't have to just sell your own stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from brands you love and give your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Shopify also helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort. Thanks to Shopify magic, your AI powered all-star sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash beyond. Again, go to shopify.com slash beyond now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash beyond. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's funny is usually when I talk to somebody and they have a new book out, we talk about, we, t- you know, name the title right away. I don't think we've <laughs> mentioned it yet, which is kind of cool. In fact, um, the new book uh, is called Adventures in Opting Out, a field guide to leading an intentional life. And I am curious then, after having gone through that experiment and, and even if you weren't fully aware of it, and I'm kind of, you know, naming it as you, you were gaining awareness of intentionality. What was that catalyst that made you think, oh, wait, I have a book in me about this topic? Mm. Um, like about adventures? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, ultimately, I mean, again, I know that you have 
you know, other than moving five times and road tripping <laughs> and, and all of that, you're definitely all about adventures, but adventures in opting out and, and why leading an intentional life became something of a, I don't want to call it a goal because that's not really the, but, but a perspective that you were using for yourself, I guess. Yeah, no, I think that it's actually been like, I'm really excited about this book or I just feel so aligned with this book um, because the idea for it came to me in such a different way. Like the year of less was the book I was sort of allowed to write because I had blogged about my shopping ban and some people thought that it could be a book and like afterwards. So it was never the plan to write a book. It was never the plan to become an author. Um, it was just sort of, you did this thing that could be really helpful. Do you want to turn it into a book? And you say, okay, like, <laughs> uh, sure. Let's try that. I don't know. <laughs> like, um, adventures was so, so different because what happened, like it started with two different things. One is that I did a lot, probably 20 or 25 um, events for the year of less, like, you know, going to bookstores or talking at libraries, different things like that. And what I noticed was that there were a few common sort of themes around the questions that people would ask during the Q and a, um, but, but number one, there was one question that was asked every single time. And it was along the lines of whether or not you lost anybody along the way. Did you lose anybody? Not even just with like the shopping ban, because that, that could sound silly, but actually it did change some things. Mm-hmm. Um, but did I lose anyone in deciding not to drink? Did I lose anyone um, even in paying off my debt and sort of like living differently in that way? Did you, did you lose any friends? Did your family, like, what did your family think? What did people think? How did they react? Did it change your social life? Uh, what I noticed, not only that the question was being asked every single time, but at first I did not like my answer. I noticed that I was sugarcoating it. Like I was giving people the answer that I thought would make them feel better essentially. And, and so this happened like the first four or five where I would say things like, well, like, you know, you might have to change how you socialize or, you know, ask people to do different things you know, but most people get on board and it's totally fine. And, and like that can be true and certainly has been true for some of the changes that I've made. But what I realized is like, I have to give the actual answer, like the most honest answer. It's more complicated and it's not the one probably everyone wants to hear. But the reality is that like when you decide to change your life, other things change and that includes relationships that includes how you connect with people. It does mean that some friendships will change or end. It does mean that you won't connect on the same topics with certain people anymore. It does mean that you could outgrow people. Um, it, it's just, it is complicated. Like it's a more complicated answer, but it, it's the one that we have to give. And what I noticed also then was that not only was I not giving the right answer in the beginning, but sort of looking around in like the minimalism, simple living, intentional living space. No one was talking about that. Like no one was talking about the fact that when you decide to live totally differently than a, the way you were living and B the way that 
uh, everyone else around you lives, your family, the way that you're raised, your closest friends, coworkers, et cetera. When you decide to do something different, it changes everything. Like it does not just simply change one little thing about you. And everyone just kind of glosses this over and just makes it sound like intentional living is like amazing and it's the thing to do and like <laughs> just like let everything go and you'll be totally fine and it's not like that has so not been my experience like of course I've learned more about myself I'm more self-aware I trust myself more there are all these positives that have come from all the different sort of intentional decisions or opt-outs that I've done but it's also been really challenging. I feel like my mental health has um, just been more prominent because I'm having to deal with it a lot more. My anxiety was like really high for a couple of years in there. Uh, like it, it just doesn't magically make everything better. If anything, it just brings a lot of things to light. And I just thought if we do not talk about the, the like what, what it really looks like, like the actual human experience you're going to have, we are doing a huge disservice to anyone that we say, like, just let go and everything's fine. Like, we need to, like, actually have conversations about what what the human side of this looks like. And and, and I can't help but think of when, when a lot of people talk about, especially in this productivity space or the, you know, entrepreneurial space um, or the online business space, when people talk about, well, I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to be, you know, it, when they say that, that word or or they they kind of are aligning themselves with this kind of i don't know i guess i'll say go getter or hustle lifestyle where it's change at all costs and you know i'll leave any and everything else in its wake because i want to it's the achievement not the journey in other words mm. it's it's the results it's the goal it's the end goal it's the results it's not it's it's a little bit inhuman in a, in a sense yeah, and it just makes me think that if you're not paying attention to the rest of it, I don't think it'll feel good when you actually achieve whatever the thing is that you set out to achieve. Um, or you're just going to find yourself like really lonely in a way by the end of it. It doesn't actually mean that you will be alone and like have no friends. But if there's nothing more to it, like if there's nothing deeper that's been happening as well in that process, like if you are not growing like internally as a person, I just feel like it would feel really empty. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, and, and so that's why, I mean, when, when I approach this topic, at least when I, when I talk about intentionality uh, for me personally, um, which, you know, Hey, it's my show. I get to do that once in a while. Yep. <laughs> um, I, I consider it being something, I mean, I, I already think of myself as being intentional, when I'm trying to do what I say I'm going to do or follow through on what I'm, what I want and, and how to, what's the best way, the healthiest way even uh, to get it, uh, you know, cause we, I mean, we could go back and say, well, Hey, the, the year of not buying anything, what well, you didn't even know any of the reason you came out the other end and you didn't buy anything, but only afterwards did you start to unpack the reasons behind what had gotten you, you know, you'd fallen, you'd fallen into, um, uh, you know, with, with all the debt, when you paid off all the debt, yeah. that's what I'm referring to is you, you, you fell into a hole, you got that, you got out of the hole, but then you didn't until later start to really become aware of the hangups and issues, uh, that you weren't even you were aware of yourself 
um, had gotten you in the hole in the first place. And that's, that's kind of where I, I think of as like in when, when I hear the word intentionality, I almost feel like it's the action side of the word awareness. Oh, I like that. I like that. It makes me think um, like similarly with the debt, it's the same thing. You know, if you are sort of in the minimalism space, people talk about decluttering all the time, obviously, but if you declutter and you don't learn anything about why you bought all those things or why you were holding on to all those things in five to 10 years, you'll probably be in the exact same position. And it'll just be a thing that you're doing again, like all over, all over again, all of it. Your house will be full. You'll be stressed out. You'll have no idea where all this stuff came from and you'll be right back to it. Yeah. Well, so I want to jump into the book a little bit here. You use this really cool framing mechanism of climbing a mountain. And I've got to ask, like, what what did, I mean, was that just the writer in you that came up with, you know, this is a perfect example. I'm going to use this metaphor or I mean, how did you stumble upon that? Um, I mean, as a writer, you're probably always looking for metaphors, <laughs> but I, I genuinely, so I, I am, I would say if people followed me on Instagram, people know I do like to spend time outdoors and that is true. Like I do like being in nature, but, and I do go hiking. Um, but I, I'm not someone who I would say loves hiking. And by that, I mean, I am not out there just enjoying every minute of it. I am someone when I go hiking, especially solo, but even with certain friends, if I, it's so easy for me to talk myself out of it, like to um, tell myself or, or have to talk myself out of not, I should say, not quitting. I am always finding this like dialogue happening in my head where I'm thinking like, I can't do this. This is hard. I don't want to be doing this anymore. I wish I could give up. And if I'm alone, the voice starts being like, you could stop right now. No one would even know. Like no one even knows you're on this hike or, or some people don't. And, and so no one would know if you actually finished it or not. And, you know, there's not, there's not like someone researching my goals and, and making sure I'm sticking to them. Uh, I don't have anyone to be accountable here to. So I, I could just quit right now. And I just kind of thought, I bet no one would know that that is what hiking feels like for me. If you just looked at Instagram, it's the same way, like with these messages that we share, the memes that we're sharing online or just the, the most basic quotes, there's always so much more going on. And for me, not only is hiking difficult, but also the challenges that I take on for myself. Like I do not wake up this one day and just decide I'm going to do a shopping ban and think like, Oh, this is going to be super fun. I'm just going to totally do this. It'll be great. (laughs) (laughs) And I also, the way that I've like, I've moved around quite a bit. I've changed careers multiple times. Um, A couple of years ago, I gave up my place so that I could travel full time. None of those decisions were just like, Oh, this is going to be so exciting and fun. Like, there's always a very lengthy period of time beforehand where I basically like, I'm questioning it. I'm thinking about it. I'm, I would have a lot of self doubt. There's a lot of stories of why I can't do it. Like I have to work through quite a bit before I can then make the decision and then try to do something different. Um, and just all those things. I'm like, I've, I've gotten so many questions over the years of people's or not questions, comments, like, Oh, you must have so much willpower and you're just so brave. And you just like do these things. And like, 
I don't know if that has much to do with it. Like it takes me a long time basically like to say yes to myself and, and to keep going. Like I can start something and it's almost like I just had to give myself multiple pep talks to even keep going. And that has been true for, yeah, everything from obviously sobriety, but um, the shopping ban was one, you know, as career moves I've made for sure, different places I've moved and traveled. It, it takes a lot for me to get to the place where I begin and, and all throughout it where I can tell myself to keep going. So it just seemed like the perfect metaphor, actually, especially because I was literally hiking the mountain that's sort of right behind my dad's house one day and going, oh, my gosh, I just want to stop right now. Uh, And then I thought, yeah, this is definitely it. This is definitely the metaphor. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and and as any metaphor is uh, true, uh, this one is because it's you've got you break it down and there's these five different components to the climbing of a mountain and you know it it, it, for you uh as i hear you talking about that um it sounds like the decision process of should i even climb this mountain do i want to and and you know mulling it over first which is part of being intentional it's that like i was saying going back to uh your own self-awareness about do you even want to do this and why yeah and it's there's also a lot in that around like once you start to get the excitement, then what you were describing of the opportunity cost, like that's a big one for me. I will have to sort of run through multiple scenarios before I begin and almost come up with like a plan like, okay, if this happens, this is how I'll deal with it. But if this other thing happens, this is how I'll deal with it. And like, it's almost like contingency plans or something like I have to like essentially create multiple ways to make it work before I even begin. Let's talk. I don't know if we'll talk about all five, but I want to talk yeah. about maybe like the base and uh, a couple of these other steps here. So when we talk about the base, um, you know, people that aren't aware of what in- mountain climbing entails, um, what is the what is the base in literal sense of climbing a mountain? And then let's jump into a little bit of the metaphor. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there probably are three out of the five that are the best to describe or yeah. like the most helpful. So I would say, yeah, the base, obviously the mountain is the very bottom or or if you're picking a specific trail that you wanted to hike, you could say it's like right when you're stepping up to the trailhead. So the marker or the signpost that tells you this is where you're going to go. Um, and in life or in opting out and making some kind of intentional decision to live differently than you have been. I consider it's exactly what I was describing, like the often long period of time where we're just thinking about it. So you actually have not done anything yet other than maybe, maybe like a little bit of research or coming up with some, like looking at some risks and figuring out how you would deal with them. Um, But I, I look at this stage as being, like you are, you are paying attention. You are noticing that there is something that you want to change. Like something you're doing isn't working anymore, or there's something that's kind of exciting that you're, you're just kind of dreaming about. And you're wondering if you want to start taking some steps towards it. And this is the stage where you're, you're kind of identifying what it is. Um, Yeah. Researching what it could look like, kind of getting yourself prepared. And, and if you do get to the place where your fears sort of are outweighed by your excitement for it, like the, or the, just the possibility of what, what could happen if you tried it, 
Um, all that work is sort of done at the base and then you're ready to begin. Um, I would say the, like the five, like the next one's the viewpoint. Um, but I'll say the Valley, which is the third section is probably, it's definitely the biggest section of the whole book. And first of all, because I think it, it answers more than even the others do that question of, uh, what I said in the beginning, like, do you, did you lose anyone? Do you lose people? Like what happens as you sort of carry on down this new path for yourself? Um, this is a section for me, like on a mountain, a valley is literally obviously like a V. Um, or if you were, if you were looking, I'm trying to imagine, like if you're going up a, a bit of a hike and then there's a steep section that you have to go down, like there's a steep decline that to me is entering a valley. And I, absolutely hate it when I'm actually out hiking I have actually gone hiking with Paul before where he's like led me into a valley and I can see like every step that we are taking down we are going to have to go back up later <laughs> and so automatically I'm like starting to lose motivation because I'm just it, d the going down isn't that hard but remembering that you're gonna have to do this again <laughs> it just feels awful um and so I sort of find like as you're going down you can tell it's getting harder uh, you can, you can see how much more work is ahead. Um, but you're also w walking further and further away from where you started. And I find, well, kind of with both hiking, but also definitely with opting out, this is the place where I often start to feel more self-doubt start to come in and doubt typically because I can tell how far I'm moving away from the way I was living before, and often that means like the people that I was most connected with. And so in this section of the book, I look at things like, um, what do you do when you actually feel lost? Um, and sort of how do you navigate your way out of that? Um, there is definitely talk of sort of taking care of yourself. So self-soothing rather than sort of uh, giving up or um, self-sabotaging. So I, I touched kind of briefly on that, but self-sabotaging was something I used to do a lot when I would make these decisions partway through. Um, I'm the one who would give up on it, but I would almost try to like find other things that I could blame it on because I didn't want to just say the truth, which was that like, it felt too hard. Like it felt too hard or I was too afraid to walk away from everything. And, and so because I wanted to remain connected to people, I would self-sabotage uh, in some way and just give up on something. The valley, the the valley to me sounds a little bit like almost, and even almost visually, uh, a little bit like the Seth Godin book, The Dip. Mm, oh, know? I haven't read that one. Yeah, it's it's basically you know when when you come up to a place where you either need to decide to uh, stop or persist and have mm. you know resilience and pers you know per persistence. Um, also known as I think I think Michael Hyatt refers to it as the inflection point where it's either you you decide to go a little further and see what happens or decide no now is the time to to stop um and so it, it feels a little bit like that here yeah yeah I know that resonates and then I mean it takes a lot to navigate it especially because I think that unless you do have like a a really sort of authentic and supportive network around you um it, it's 
it's a, just a hard one to navigate. You do feel really alone in it. I find like, I don't, this is like kind of the area for me where I don't always feel like I'm connected to anyone, even sometimes like my closest friends, because like a lot is changing on the inside. Like a lot is coming up and it's like that little bits of pain and growth that you almost can't describe to others. Like you can tell that it's happening within you, but you almost like if you tried to tell someone, they'd be like, okay, that doesn't seem like a big deal, but it feels massive to you. Um, I think a lot of that is happening there. And then like the fourth section is the slope, which is sort of the final push we'll say. Um, but the fifth section is the summit. And this one is actually my, my favorite sort of in terms of the analogy, because like the summit of a mountain is so obvious. It is, it's the goal. Like it's, it's the reason you did the hike. It probably has the best view of the whole thing. Um, there's probably a lot of people there, right? So it's probably very obvious, not just because of the view, but because there are lots of people there and people are celebrating and they're happy. And, and it's, it's just, everything about it is obvious. And I find that the summit of opting out, the summit of making a decision to live differently in some way is actually like so subtle, you'll probably miss it. And it is just the day or like the period of time when it stops being a challenge and that you just are living that way. And in my experience, it can take a long time to get there. You know, even with drinking, I'm, I'm about to hit eight years of sobriety now, but I don't think I would say I properly hit the summit until like six, even six and a half years into it. And that doesn't mean that sobriety was a challenge for me so much. Like staying sober was fine, but I still had concerns around things like, you know, am I ever going to say meet a guy who's actually okay with the fact that I'm sober? Um, like who does not comment on it ever because it's still a thing. I don't know why, like we're in our thirties. Like, why is this even a thing? <laughs> but, but it seems to be often, um, or can I go to a party ever? And and like, just never hear like not a single comment. Or if I hear something, it just doesn't bother me in the slightest. Like those little things. Uh, it took a long time for me to be completely okay with that stuff. Like where I just stopped caring, ultimately, of like, I was so comfortable then in it, that like, it just didn't matter anymore. Well, and imagine that also being vegetarian plays into that <laughs> as well, right? <laughs> In the in the sobriety and dating piece, yeah. I mean, well, I and I, I guess just in the lifestyle piece, like you're yeah. you're living that life, and you know, I don't know. I mean, I don't know as much about the story of that then. Um, but you decided not to at some point, and eventually went that way. And this was, and I guess that's kind of a valley thing where it's you know, you, who are the people that you lose along the way where they're just like, yeah. I don't know if I can deal with you anymore, and it's you know, but but now. Um, with both of those things and probably other things as well, you're at the summit. You've, you've, and I wouldn't say that it's, a, it's about, a, quote, arriving, you know, no. it's, but it, again, it, you get to that point and you, you live in that space for long enough to then realize you are in that space. Um, and, and, and I'm not even claiming that this is, that these lifestyle type changes, uh, hopefully for the positive, um, Typically, that's why we try to intentionally make change is because it's a positive yeah. change. But yeah. 
uh, that that they're that one they're easy. I don't want to assume that, but that two, I don't want to assume that. Honestly, sometimes we're even as aware of them as we think we are, um, intention wise. I guess the, or or um, motivation or motive. Motive is the word I'm lo- I'm looking for. You know the like for example, you even um, with getting you know paying off the debt and or doing the experiment of the the year of last. It was not as um, clear. But it was a choice, and you followed through on it. And then some. Some of the times we learn the lessons after we did the thing. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I. I honestly think that that's true most of the time. Anyways, like I think that there are certainly moments when we're sort of in the journey where, where the awareness or the lessons are like coming in, but. I, I do think it takes time for us to really be able to look back and see what was happening back then. Um, and I, and I say this as someone I'm, I'm in self-reflection a lot, actually like 2020, I did more therapy than I've ever done in my life. It's the first year of my life actually where I've done therapy literally from January to December. And so I'm in self-reflection a lot. I still can't tell you like what all the lessons I learned in 2020 are. Right. Like it'll, it'll be when I find myself in a situation, say in 2021 or 2022, and then I can reflect back and say, oh, I learned how to do it differently in 2020. Well, that's interesting. Like, when did that change? Oh, okay. Well, that's cool. Like, so no, I, I totally agree with that. Yeah. I, I am hoping actually, I, I don't know that I, here, here is here I am uh, voicing something or talking out loud on something that, you know, this this thought has never been something that I think I've had rise up this, top, you know, far to the top of my brain to be able to voice it. But I think that what I'm hoping for is that 2020 was a valley, and I think it was for mm. a lot of people, and that there was a lot of time spent in reflection, but I don't know what to make of a lot of it per se, other than coming out the other end and or, you know, further up and further in the mountain next year, although that's kind of started this year, I guess. I don't know. Who knows? But we're, we're all, I think, kind of hoping for 2020 to have been a valley that we will come out of, um, not just metaphorically, uh, but no. quite quite literally that we will rise back up again in terms of some of the things that we've we've lost and that hopefully we've become aware of what those things mean to us moving forward. I could not agree more. I, I'm the humorous side of me wants to say that then the viewpoint, which is like sort of uh, the early days of a change um, would have been when we were all baking bread. <laughs> yes, <laughs> It's like we were all trying to find a bit of joy or pleasure in the little period of time that we were all home alone but like with each other so we're like okay what are these cool things that we do when we're home alone (laughs) like we bake bread we do puzzles we like try new things uh and then it that does sort of disappear right because that is uh and was an early coping mechanism for everybody yeah i totally Um, agree that that real i'm glad you said that because that really fits and i've been trying to figure out you know, because we we actually because uh, we're recording this pretty soon after um, American Thanksgiving, mm. and we got puzzles back out again. And I thought, man, we haven't done these in a while. And then I thought, wait, we did a whole bunch of them months ago, 
and then we stopped again. So, but what that leads me to is, is a, um, maybe a landing lesson here in a sense for me is mm-hmm. that the, it's not the puzzle that's important. It was the time spent and it was, what was that time spent on? And did we intend to use it that way? Or did we kind of just lazily, you know, did we just scroll on our phones while double screening a movie while people were sitting on a couch with us, but we weren't connecting with them. And instead we sat and, you know, we played board games. We played, uh, we put puzzles together together. And that is one of the things that awoke in me this year was the, that me and my, my two kids and my wife, we've got something that we've kind of neglected, which is our family, I don't know, cohesiveness, our, our culture, whatever it is, microculture, that that's something that I don't want to let go of being intentional about moving forward. And I'm not even sure. I, I think I'm maybe at the base of that one now. So mm. that's that's my taking away from from this conversation as well as as well as 2020. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. I think that like you're right, we're probably still in the valley. I would say we're probably close to the slope though and that it requires um a lot of pep talks to keep going. Mm. Like yes, you can see you can see the end of this like and and it's not going to be obviously a dramatic ending. It'll be more like a a shifting to something that's a bit different and more of what we want, but it, it's going to take a lot still to get us there. Um, but I think you're right. It is also that piece of like, what are the things that we want to take with us? What are the things that are still weighing us down that we actually don't want to bring into like the next iteration of our lives, which is coming what what is kind of weighing us down so what 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 is it time to let go of now um yeah i think there's a lot there and i also think like what i love about the summit ultimately at the end is that it's actually just your new baseline like it is your new your new base and it does not mean you're going to go and opt out of things forever and ever and ever and you're just going to do this over and over although I do think if you're being really intentional, that is likely what life will look like. Maybe not fast paced. You don't have to like, <laughs> like rush and constantly change things, but uh, it does eventually just become your baseline, your new way of living. I, I really mm-hmm. look forward to that new baseline. I don't Me know too. what it is, but I, I'm kind of, <laughs> I think that's what I'm kind of trying to formulate is what do I want that new baseline to, to be after this journey is, is over. So um, I would love to point people to where they can jump on this journey as well. Is there any special place you would like to direct them to where they can find out more about the book or just grab it? Mm, um, well, I mean, I think the book is available pretty much everywhere, I think, which is nice. I'm definitely a big fan of supporting local where possible. So I would always say that or reach out either to your local bookstore or asking your library if they can get a copy. It's also like all of that stuff is helpful for authors. And otherwise, I mean, I am on Instagram. It's like the one place probably to hang out and say hi. And I do actually reply to like messages and have conversations there. So, uh, and you will see hiking pictures and I will probably talk about what sucked about that hike that day. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, Kate, great talking with you. And um, I can't wait to uh, get connected more and find out more about what you're doing and, and follow along on uh, more mountains that you're climbing and that we more can, mountains. you know, and, uh, so thank It's been really fun. Thank you so much for being here. And, uh, I know people are going to get a lot out of this. Oh, 
thank you so much, Eric. This was really nice, really nice conversation. Well, that's another podcast crossed off your podcast listening to-do list. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Kate Flanders. I hope that it's a great kickoff to your new year. Or if you're listening to this months later, it's still a great conversation to jump in on about intentionality. And if you got something great out of this conversation, I would love for you to think of somebody else that needs to hear it and do me the favor of sharing this with them. You can do that by hitting the share button in the podcast player app of choice you're using or head on over to the show notes at beyondthetodolist.com and share it from there. Thank you so much for sharing. Thanks for listening. And I'll see you next episode. Thanks for listening to the end. If you're looking for a show to start helping you apply these productivity lessons on your business, check out Millionaire University. It's real lessons from real entrepreneurs teaching you what you need to know to improve your business or start one if you've been putting it off. It covers all aspects of business from starting, marketing, growing, managing, and everything in between, wearing all the hats. And as an added bonus, I am conducting a number of those conversations, those interviews, so you'll fit right in. Again, that's Millionaire University. Just search for it in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast.